Today on the 1012 Podcast, listener questions are answered. Who we're rooting for in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Plus, Texas Tech softball head coach Craig Snyder joins the show for the first time. It's our official kickoff for the Big 12 softball season. If you want to know about the tumbleweed contest and where it came from, we've got the answer for you today. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 14 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. We are the flagship show of the 10-12 Network. Find every show on the network at 1012network.com. And of course, we are partners with Sport Social, Europe's biggest sports podcast network. Go check out their fantastic lineup of podcasts. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us for our midweek episode Today, the day this drops, is January 25th, two weeks until the start of the 2024 college softball season. I'm very excited, as you all know. Seriously, first games of the season start Thursday, February 8th. Multiple teams in action. Oklahoma will play games. Oklahoma State's got some. BYU, UCF, Iowa State. On that Thursday, very, very, very excited which is why we're kicking off our softball coverage today. One of the coaches I did not get on the show last year, Coach Craig Snyder, Texas Tech softball head coach, will join us here shortly. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, how they're going to replace some of the hitting from last year, his view of the new 10-team Big 12, 10 teams in, in softball. And if you haven't seen the post on social media about the tumbleweed contest, it's 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 very West Texas. We're going to explain where that comes from. So stick around for that fantastic interview. I, I, man, I, I just, I love getting to talk softball. I'm so excited for college softball season to be here. I got, I'm ready for spring. That also means spring is going to get closer. I'm tired of the cold and the gray and the wet. Here in Arkansas, it's been foggy and gray and rainy. And I just like, after a while, I need some sunshine, y'all. Folks, it just drains me. I I need a little bit of a pick-me-up. I do. I asked for some questions from people on Twitter, and I got some. We're going to get to those here in just a minute. There's a few things I want to touch on uh, before we do those. Number one, first, it was Nick Saban retiring now. Jim Harbaugh finally takes the leap back to the NFL. He gets Michigan to a national championship now. He's headed back to the NFL to take over the uh, Los Angeles Chargers job. Why do I mention this? Because, of course, Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold's names have been mentioned in tweets in regards to this opening. Look, Kansas State, Kansas, I think you're fine. Sharon Moore is going to get this job. Current offensive coordinator, the guy that filled in as interim head coach during Jim Harbaugh's two, three-game suspensions during the regular season. Like, I think he's getting this job. It's just, it makes too much sense for Michigan to keep the guy who's already on the staff, who's highly thought of, I just, I think you're fine. I, I I think you're safe. I feel confident in saying that by the time, hell, by the time you listen to this episode, Sharon Moore might have already been named the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines, which honestly, like, would be a good thing also, because then we don't have to deal with, okay, well, now, now Michigan's stolen another head coach. Now another school has to find a new head coach and then another, and then the cycle continues. I'm done with the head coaching cycle. It's, it's, it's almost February. Let's be done. Uh, as a Big 12 podcast, 
You might be wondering who we are rooting for this weekend in the NFL playoffs. Did you know there's playoffs on Sunday? AFC NFC Championship games. Four teams left, two teams for the Super Bowl. So you might think that we are cheering for San Francisco and Kansas City because we want to see Brock Birdie and Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And and personally, yes, that is what I'm rooting for personally. I am a Niners fan. I do like the Chiefs. I am not a diehard any team in the NFL. So I just, I like to see certain things. But I grew up a fan of the Niners and the Chiefs because of my grandfather. We were big Joe Montana fans. He grew up in Kansas City area. I like both. When there was the San Francisco, Kansas City Super Bowl a couple of years ago, I was in hog heaven. I would love to be in hog heaven again. But as a Big 12 podcast, as a podcast, as an official 10-12 network stance, um, we should be rooting for as many players from the current Big 12 teams to make the Super Bowl as possible. Like We want the graphics about how many Big 12 teams are in the Super Bowl. We want those graphics. We want, we want those being posted. Those are positives. So for that to happen, it means we're actually rooting for Baltimore and San Francisco to win their prospective games. I get it. Patrick Mahomes. I understand. And if I did my math correctly, Baltimore has 13 players on their roster from teams that are currently in the Big 12. Kansas City actually has the second most of the four teams remaining at 12. The problem is Baltimore and Kansas City face off. Now, I could say, like, what difference does it make one player? You should root for Kansas City. And and I am. Like, I want Kansas City to win. Please understand. I want Kansas City to win. But I'd be perfectly fine if you throw one more player from the Big 12 and all those cool, like, how many players from each conference are playing in the Super Bowl? If you get Baltimore and San Francisco, that number will be 23 because there are 10 from San Francisco. There are only four Big 12 players on the Detroit roster. 10 for San Francisco, 12 for Kansas City, 13 for Baltimore. So definitely San Francisco, Brock Purdy. Come on, y'all. And look, I'm I'm, I'm going to be happy if Kansas City makes it. But just for the graphics sake, pro Big 12, we're going to be good with Baltimore out there. But definitely San Francisco over Detroit. Like 10 versus 4. This is easy. I've got some thoughts on basketball. I want to talk about TCU for just a minute. Um, congratulations. I'm glad they finally got to play a game again, the women's team. I got a nice six-point win over UCF at home. Good. We were moving on. This 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 issue of them having to forfeit two conference games can just be swept under the rug. That's what they wanted. They wanted to move on and move past it. Nope. They got the win, and then they needed an ESPN special about, like, oh, look at this incredible story. Look at how, look at this amazing thing that's happened. They had seven players. Uh, the volleyball player who joined the team played one whole minute. They played seven players on the current roster in that game and got a six point win over one of the worst teams in the Big 12 on the women's side. I do not believe that something evil, malicious, whatever is going on. I understand why Kansas State fans and Iowa State fans are upset about what happened last week. And you can be upset. That's fine. I'm not going to buy the conspiracy theories. I'm not going to. So if you want to sweep it under the rug and just move on, TCU, by releasing little to no information about it, fine, cool, okay. It's weird, it's suspect, but whatever. Let's roll, let's move on. If you're then going to allow ESPN to air some segment about you, about this underdog story of overcoming adversity and injury to this roster, you're putting yourself back in the limelight. You cannot have it both ways. You can't give as little information as possible and try and just hope this goes away and then try and take a few minutes to to crow about oh, all you've had to overcome to get a six-point win at home over a bad team. Choose a narrative and stick to it. Choose a direction and stick to it. Because you can't have it both ways. You can't sweep it under the rug and act like it's not a big deal. 
and then try and gain sympathy and awareness for something. I, I it That stinks to high heaven to me. There's hypocrisy in that that I don't like. Either tell the story or don't. All right. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole stuff about WWE on Netflix and, and what that means for college athletics because I don't think the two things correlate. Um, I don't think that works that way. Like WWE is one package. College football is is not. It's too complicated. Let's get to some of your questions that you asked. I asked for questions. I said I'd try and answer a few on the show tonight. So that's what I'm going to do. Thank you. This is the first time I've really got some some decent responses or like responses. And I don't mean like decent in quality, although there's some quality questions. And I can't answer all of them because I don't I don't have an answer for all of them. But I will try and address each of them. All right. First up, of course, he was the first one to respond. Of course, he was. Scott Wildcat, host of Bosco's Boys, part of the 10-12 network, quote, if you were the czar of Big 12 football scheduling, what philosophies would you use to put together dates and times? Cannot change the opponent cycle already determined, i.e. a rivalry week, specific types of games on Thursday, Friday, certain games at certain times, etc. A rivalry week would be a good thing. I think putting all of the rivalry games that we have on one weekend would be a smart thing. You get Sunflower Showdown. You get whatever Arizona, Arizona State is called. You get the Holy War between Utah and BYU. You get the Revivalry. I'm still calling it the Revivalry. You can call it the Blue Bonnet, whatever you want. I don't care. And I would put that later in the year, around the time that the SEC typically does SoCon Saturday. That's the weekend they're going to take off. That's the weekend you should put as your rivalry weekend. I understand most of the time we like to play those as the last week of the regular season, but I think it plays better from an excitement level if we're playing those games then. And then I would look at other opportunities for games on the schedule that you could consider quote-unquote rivalry games between teams that you could call a rivalry and put them there. If West Virginia and Cincinnati are playing that season, then that game should, should go that weekend. If Texas Tech and Oklahoma State are playing that season, then that game should go that weekend. Uh, I would then look at games that you have not decided are rivalries, but which fan bases could get behind a quote-unquote rivalry. Yeah, I don't want to hear West Virginia fans about Cincinnati. Just just cram it. I don't I don't need for this this I don't need that. And and fill that weekend up with as many games that at least Big Twelve fans can get behind together. I don't I don't have a lot of thoughts from beyond that. Like, I like an idea of a rivalry weekend, but that's about it. I care more about matchups than I do, like, when things fall on the calendar. All right. Senior Cincinnatus, I think that's how it's pronounced, is Cincinnati's upcoming home game against UCF a must-win for the Bearcats. Thank you for sending me this one because it leads into the conversation about Big 12 men's basketball. Because, yes, yes, it is for Cincinnati. It's absolutely a must-win. Why is it a must-win? I know that I have been pushing the... 12 from the Big 12. And I'm still going to hold out hope that 12 Big 12 teams can make the tournament. But I also don't think it's realistic. On Wednesday, Joe Lenardi put out his most recent bracketology. You can quibble about how accurate it is, whatever. He had 10 Big 12 teams in. 10. Texas was and Kansas State were the last four buys. TCU was among the last four in. Cincinnati was among the first four out. I think if you're going to get 11 teams in, the number 11 has to be Cincinnati. Now, look, they're sitting at number 37 in the net as of the time of this recording. Uh, Cincinnati is 33rd in Ken Palm at time of this recording. Four 11 teams, Cincinnati 
has got to protect home court. You have to win those games. You have to win home games. You need to beat UCF, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia. Like the thing for everybody at this point is this. Don't lose to OSU. Don't lose to West Virginia if you can avoid it, especially not at home. You got to protect home court. You have to protect home court. So do I think Cincinnati versus UCF is a must win for Cincinnati? Is it truly a must win? You have plenty of opportunities for more wins on the calendar. Absolutely plenty of games still to play. But home game against UCF, who's down in the 70s in the net, yeah, that's a must win. You cannot lose home games, and you cannot lose home games to teams like UCF, Oklahoma State, who you're going to get home later in the season, West Virginia, who you're going to get home later in the season. It's too hard to win games on the road. You need to win those games. Heck, I would say they've got UCF at home, and then they go on the road to West Virginia. Both of those are must wins. You don't want to lose those. You don't want to lose those if you're Cincinnati, if you are going to find yourself on the right side of the bubble. So, yeah, I think it's a must win. Because, yes, there's plenty of opportunities for good wins, but you don't want to take any of what would be considered the few subpar losses in the Big 12 either. Uh, Allison Renner, friend of the pod, can anyone stop the powers of Gap Goat? Her answer is no. I agree. No, they cannot. Um, real one. Brant Phillips is Adi Crooks, Iowa State Women's Basketball Center, uh, versus a potentially healthy Ioka Lee, the most underrated matchup of players in all of college basketball this season. Yeah, if you're going to go underrated, yes. And the fact that we might only get one, if that, like we were going to get two. They face each other twice this season. Kansas State and Iowa State face each other twice this season. We will not have Ioka Lee for the first matchup. It's doubtful we'll have a 100% healthy Ioka Lee for the second matchup. Like the best chance we have of gonna of that occurring would be if the two meet up in Kansas City for the Big 12 Women's Championship. Like I I I was so looking forward to that matchup. We all the Big 12 fans were. To not get it now is really disappointing. So if we can have that, if Ioka Lee can be healthy as close to 100% as possible, and we could get that in Kansas City, oh man, that would be a hell of a matchup. And I hope to God for women's basketball fans like that we can. That would be incredible. Incredible. Miles Giller, who helps out with Sons of UCF, asks, biggest surprises in men's and women's basketball so far this season, good and bad. I mean, I think you have to say BYU is a good surprise. I know they're two and four in conference play, but it's still a good team. They've been competitive, even the losses. I, I would consider them a good surprise. I mean, Kansas State being good is not a surprise. Texas Tech... I guess you could call them a surprise because they're four and one and sitting atop the conference standings. You can call that a surprise. Um, I still think BYU being as good as they are this season is a surprise. Bad surprise. I can't believe Oklahoma State's as bad as they are. Like you could say Texas, they're three and three in conference play now, fourteen and five overall. Like they're on the right side of the bubble. Like okay, OSU is zero and six in conference play, eight and eleven overall. Yeah, they've had some close losses. They've had games they've blown. OSU is not good. For them to be this bad, like I didn't think they were going to be especially good this season. For them to be as bad as they are, it's bad. They get West Virginia at home this Saturday. That might be their best chance for a win the rest of the season. They've got a home game against UCF at the end of uh, February. They get BYU at home mid-February. Like Outside of that, are they going to go winless? No. But for them to be as bad as they are, that one is a bit surprising for the bad side. On the women's side, I'm not sure I'm surprised based off of preseason expectations. Um, Iowa State is ahead of schedule, so if you want to call them a surprise, sure. 
I'm not surprised when Iowa State is good. So that the fact that they're six and two in conference play is not surprising. Kansas State being this good, okay, maybe a little bit. Maybe I didn't expect them to be eight and zero. I mean, it was surprising to see them beat Baylor earlier in the week without Aoka Lee, which was absolutely incredible. But from a positive standpoint, I'm not sure anyone surprises me in the Big 12. Uh, from a negative, from a down, from how bad they are, Kansas being 10-9, 3-5 in conference play, there were much higher expectations for them this season. We've talked about that with Andy. I think Kansas being as, as down as they are this season is surprising with everything that they had coming back. Kamiar Mahorabian asks, at the end of the basketball season, what are the Big 12 standings for the men? Who the hell knows? How do you come to me and ask me that question? Like, have we not done this enough times to know that, like, good luck? I, I, I'm not going to predict actual standings. I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to do it. Uh, this from Tanner Wilson from men's basketball, especially. Who's the Big 12 strongest NBA prospect? Uh, I, I, from what I can tell, and please understand, like, I, I can't sit here and judge the skill of players. And I can't watch every single game. But from what I have gathered, Jacoby Walter or Baylor is still the projected to go the highest of any Big 12 player. That would be my pick. Uh, I think, yes, Missy is also going to be a, a, a first round pick. And then I think Kevin McCuller. I think those are your top three. But I think Jacoby Walter is going to be the first uh, name called. Corey asks if everyone in the new Big 12 could choose a single conference rival, who would it be? The funny thing about that is I don't think everyone would pick the same team. And schools and fans have two different opinions on that because I think Kansas State's going to say Kansas, which they shouldn't. Kansas would play Kansas State. I think Iowa State fans would say Kansas State. But like they don't want to be the second fiddle, so then they got to look around and say, well, maybe Cincinnati because West Virginia doesn't want to say Cincinnati, but Cincinnati would probably say West Virginia. And like I, yeah, yeah. that's a that's a good question I want to have to do some research on because I don't think it's as simple as, well, it's these two teams. No, no, no. I don't think everyone would say, there's necessarily, everyone would just say each other. Like BYU and Utah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ryan K asks me to put to bed the foul in the end of Houston and BYU that was controversial. I'm not going to do that. And that's about it. Those are the questions. All right. Thank you to everybody sending those in. Yeah, I hope you like the answers that I gave you. We'll do that again soon. So uh, if you've got questions, if you want to pitch them now, you can, or save them up, and we'll do another Q&A uh, before an interview sometime soon. Uh, I've got some exciting stuff for next week, next midweek, to kind of really start diving in on, on Big 12 softball. I'm so excited for this season to get underway. I'm excited for you to hear the interview we have coming up here in just a minute with Coach Craig Snyder. I'm also super excited for you to go and shop with our friends at Charlie Hustle vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City. I'm not going to do the spiel. I'm not going to do the read. I know every everybody's podcast is someone's first or every podcast. I'm, I'm going to get that line right on the first try of one of these times. I swear, just once I'm going to do it. Look, charliehustle.com. If you love vintage collegiate apparel, then go check out what they've got right now. They've actually got a coaches versus cancer collection going on right now. Funds go to help support finding an end. To cancer they're going to help the american cancer society there are four t-shirts two are sec coaches there's also a jerome tang one that's fantastic and a bill self one that is fantastic go check those out on the site right now go to charliehustle.com it's right there on the homepage. it's the coaches vs. cancer shirts they are fantastic it's just it's just the latest of the great stuff 
that Charlie Hustle keeps putting out for Big 12 schools. They've got everybody currently in the Big 12, except for Cincinnati. They're trying, they're working. Cincinnati fans keep badgering them. I know that they're working on the corner schools to come in, that are coming in. They've already got Colorado, and they've got some dang good stuff. So here's what I want you to do. Go to charliehustle.com. Peruse your favorite school, be it Baylor or Kansas, Oklahoma State, Houston, West Virginia, TCU, whoever. Find you a couple things. Use the promo code 101215TEN1215 and get 15% off all non-sale items. Maybe you want a, an NIL player tee with some players from Kansas or Kansas State. Uh, maybe you want some really cool varsity jackets from multiple schools. Maybe you're a Big 12 wrestling fan. Maybe you're an Oklahoma State wrestling fan because they've got a t-shirt just for you. They put out a collection of basketball hoodies for just about every Big 12 school. They're pretty stinking cool. So go to charliehustle.com. Use that promo code 101215. Save 15% off all non-sale items. Go check it out today. Support Charlie Hustle. They support us. We love them. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. All right, Craig Snyder, fantastic interview. Let's talk about Texas Tech softball. Let's find out why they have a tumbleweed contest. Let's get to it. Softball season is almost here for players. I'm sure they are itching to finally get on the field and play some games and not just continue to practice. We've got a few more weeks to go, but for the 1012 podcast, it's time to start talking about softball, previewing softball. I'm very excited today. Uh, on our list of coaches we didn't get last year, we got most of the Big 12 coaches, both at the time, current, and future. Uh, one of them we didn't get was Texas Tech head coach, Coach Snyder. And I am thrilled that we're going to kick off this season by welcoming him to the show. Coach Snyder, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk some softball with you guys. And sorry you missed me last year. I must have been hiding or something. There's no telling, no telling how we crossed paths or didn't cross paths. So I'm excited that we can uh, connect on this today. Year one, you got a lot to figure out, a lot to learn, a lot to kind of deal with. It's it's understandable. You're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. Yeah, you know, first time head coach, that's for sure. That, that was probably chapter fifty six on things that maybe I would have done differently as a head coach first year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll start with this then. Like, what do you feel like from as a first time head coach after your first season? What are some of the biggest things you feel like you've learned as a head coach after one year? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, gosh, there was, there was a ton. I think you could, again, I think I could write a book on it. But at the same time, like, you know, what what I didn't realize because again, I've been on one side of the ball for twenty three years. I was a hitting coach, right? And so I, I, it was offense, 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 this and that, you know. But now it's also no, no, it's the management of everything. Now you have a, you touch everything. You you touch the defense, pitching, you know, boosters, you know, every, everything that is, is involved in your program, you're a part of, and. um you know, you don't realize at the time, the time constraints that, with, that goes with that. And, you know, there's days you look up and your your day's filled with meetings and things to take care of the program that really has has a lot to do with the program and growing the program, but doesn't have a lot to do with the tactical side of, of softball, right? And that's always been my life has been the tactical side. And so um, the management of that was definitely a change for me. And, you know, something I'm, I enjoy, I've, I've really enjoyed that piece, but you know, there are days that I think, man, I just... I would just love to be back in the cages all day and hanging out with the hitters, you know, <laughs> but that's not the case anymore. Co- coaching is the fun part. Uh, the rest of it's just, you know, the things that they pay you for, right? And that's the, but then those are the things that mean the most sometimes too. So you got to really pay attention to those details. And I think as college athletics change, I mean, 
more and more keeps adding to getting added to the role for head coach as far as you know that CEO role we talk about with football all the time of now you've got NIL and you've got transfer portal and you've got different philosophies on roster management because it's not just about getting these kids out of high school to come to your team like it is interesting uh, being a first time head coach it's it's kind of like to me like growing up in the in the the smartphone era like you don't remember the time beforehand you have been coaching during the time beforehand, obviously, but like as a, a a head coach in this area, do you feel like you were better suited to handle some of the challenges that coaches are dealing with now, having kind of come up in that time period as opposed to having done it one way for so long and having to deal with all this change? Yeah, I mean, I think yes and no. I mean, I think it's it, it, I think it's ever evolving, you know. And um, I talk about this a lot with you know with with other coaches, you know, when I whenever I speak and stuff like you know our the generation of kids are always different, right? Like how how you were raised was different than how your parents were raised, and how your parents were raised were different than how their parents were raised. Like we we continue to evolve, and um, I think in coaching that's kind of the same way, you know. The the the, the rules are ever changing, right? The landscape of the NCAA and NIL, it's, it's ever changing. So we have to learn to adapt and you're kind of drawing your own maps as you move on. right. Like, you know, we want to be able to kind of fall back on things that we know and do that. And a lot of things you can, but then there's so many other things. It's like, well, okay. And this is, this is uncharted water for us. And I I definitely feel that way prior since COVID. I think we've all, I think as as an industry, and, and all coaching professions have had to operate differently, look at things differently, manage rosters differently, manage kids differently. It's it's changing for sure. And and what we're talking about right now will probably change by the time next year happens. You know, I mean, there's just more rules going to be put in place or less rules put in place. And so you just continue to evolve with that. And um, but I think that's what what makes a great um, coach or a head coach is like you are adaptable and you can evolve with the times and, and continue to maneuver through the challenges, you know, of, of the newness. Yeah, they say the only constant is change. So I think that continues to apply uh, each and every year. Uh, you mentioned hitting coach. Let's, let's talk about this team. You come from an offensive background and this team was a lot of fun to watch last year because of how much offense there was ton of runs, ton of home runs, a lot of excitement. Um, Three of your biggest hitters, I think, from last season are gone. Peyton Blythe, Mackenzie Herzog, uh, Ellie Bailey are all gone. That's a lot of production to replace. That's 108 RBI and 32 home runs. Where do you see on this roster those runs, those hits, those home runs coming from? Yeah, I mean, those three were just integral parts, right? And it was so cool to see Ellie Bailey do it, what she did as her senior year, you know, to hit 16 home runs. And, you know, I think the prior year she had two. And so she really got to grow up in the system as grading. Obviously, Mackenzie Herzog, you know, got the, had the honor to coach, you know, her for, for many years. And to see her be a part of our program, it was incredible and a big loss for us. And then Peyton Blythe, you know, I mean, Peyton came in and like just adapted to what we we're doing and had a phenomenal year for us. And um, that's a lot of production. It is, you know, and, and I think as, as we talked about evolving, you know, it's funny last year going into the season, you know, we we didn't know what the identity would be, right? We didn't know that it, it was was this a doubles team, was a home run team, was this a base running team? What, what, we got to play small ball, we got to manufacture, how do we do this? And um, it kind of evolved into a, a team that, you know, it was going to be a high slug team, right? It was going to be losing the ball over the fence. It was going to be doubles. It was, you know, that was what it kind of became. And and so I, I look I go into this year, and, and I don't know if it's about replacing it. Um, it's about okay, how do we score those runs again, right? And so how do we how do we put ourselves in a position to score those runs? So it could it may look different this year, right? It may look different than 
you know, we're a big double teams or home run team. We may be more, you know, uh, a manufacturer team and had to really situationally hit, you know, and run bases. I think each team continues to evolve. And I think that's what makes a really good hitting coach. It's, it's not always the cut and dry. This is what we're going to do. It's like, well, no, this is the personnel we have this year. This is some things we can do differently to probably score more runs. Let's go that route. And so I don't know, going into this year, I, I want to, I'd love to have that kind of piece again. And I think we're going to have some kids that have really developed, which I'm excited about um, and some youth coming in that I'm excited about, but you know, again, it could be completely different than last year. So it's not really about replacing as much as just really being able to evaluate what you have right now and how does that fit the mold of scoring more runs. Uh, one player you do bring back who is huge for this program is Kaylee Wyckoff, who had an incredible freshman season. I mean, I, not, I don't want to like she came out of nowhere for all of the fans outside of Texas Tech. I'm sure you saw the potential when you you know got her there in Lubbock. Having her back, a lot of excitement about her, a lot of anticipation for what she'll do this year. Where do you see she has grown the most from last year heading into this season? I mean, I think the maturity factor, right? I mean, you know, as a freshman, it's always going to be a roller coaster ride. And her her fall of freshman year, what was that for her? And you know, she struggled a lot in, in the fall, which is always kind of a good thing for a freshman because they have to figure out the failure piece. Because when when you get to level, you're going to fail. It's just a matter of when and how, right? And so, you know, and and so for her, she got to figure that piece out, and then goes out into the spring and just has a phenomenal season, right? And now the next piece is like, okay, because a lot of the questions are going to be, how do you follow that up? How do you do those things? And we we've sat down and we've really talked about that a lot, and. You know, it's not really about following it up. It's about staying present and, and continuing your process of, you know, what got you to that point, right? And so I've seen a lot of maturity out of her um, this fall and this spring, and I'm excited to see what she can do. You know, she's what a talented ball player and a talented hitter and catcher, and so um, she's a great addition to our program, there's no doubt. You feel like she's ready to handle that pressure that's now going to be put on her in her second year with coming back with the role she's going to have and the anticipation for her? I do. I do. Again, we've had a lot of conversations about that because that's not an easy thing, right? You know, success leaves clues, but, you know, success can also be a detriment too. It, you know, if, if you don't handle that right. And so um, just, you know, exactly what I've told her before, it's that, you know, what you did last year is exactly last year, right? It's about right now. It's about because people are going to try to pitch you different, right? Your name's now circled uh, on that scouting report. They're going to try to get you out. So they're going to pitch you tougher. They're going to pitch around you more. There's going to be a lot of different ways to do it. And so you don't have to reinvent yourself. You just need to be ready to go in that battle. And again, just continue to stay present and adaptable as we move through this. Uh, let's talk about the mound. Obviously, uh, last year, you used a lot of arms. Was it, I think it was one of the Oklahoma games. You, I think you threw like six different pitchers into one game. Just like there's a pitcher every inning. Just it was a fun strategy to watch to see how that played out. I mean, seven different pitchers through in double-digit games. You had eight pitchers in total for the season. Gone is Kendall Fritz. Gone is Erna Garland. Gone is McKinney Herzog. And then Morgan Hornback is also gone, but she's now uh, on staff this season. So if do you plan to use that high number of arms again this season? And if so, who's going to step up and, and fill the uh, fill the innings that are lost for the players who are gone? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a big gap to fill, you know, especially losing the, you know, those arms for us last year. But I think, you know, we look at we look at the landscape of softball right now. Um, I think gone are the days where you jog out one pitcher and just run through an offense, right? And there's a there's still a few out there that, that can do that. There's there's still some elite arms that can do that. But you know, I think we even look at you know some of the teams that have made the World Series. We're like, it takes a staff. It, it takes a staff that does different things and. Um, what I'm really excited about this year is that 
we've really bought into that philosophy. Uh, we've, we've, we've trained that philosophy and we've really seen these pitchers develop, you know? So I, I really look, I look forward to seeing, you know, our, our arms at the show. Matty Keel has been, been great all fall, all spring. Um, our transfer, Matty Wright, uh, you know, coming from Charlotte, another great addition to our staff. Um, you know, look at, look at Liv Rains, who's, who's done a great job for us and Sage Hoover and, you know, and Rancy Willis, like there's some arms right there. And then we've got a few freshmen that are going to step up as well. So, I'm excited to see what that brings, you know, again, all different looks, uh, all different, um, you know, opportunities there. And I think the the name of the game now is like, how do we get outs, right? Like that's, that's it. Right. So just like, well, on the offense piece, we meant to adapt to try to score runs on the defensive side. It's like, well, we're, we're buying outs. So we have 21 outs. How do we get 21 outs? And if we put everybody in this hat right now, like how can we mix and match this piece to get those outs that we need? to keep these scores low so we can win more ball games. And that's what we're really working hard on this year. So, you know, I won't, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of different uh, looks again this year, because that's what we're trying to see, what we're seeing a, a trend, you know, offensively that, that you've got to change the looks up, right. You have to change it. And so we're going to continue looking in that, looking in that direction this year. Yeah. We, we talked about change off the top. And I mean, used to you, if you had one stud, you're set. You you know you're gonna have a good season. You're probably gonna be in Oklahoma City if you've got one of the tops. Now, like even Oklahoma's got two three arms, two three players that you would start on any team like for a whole season, and they've got multiple of them. And so just having one great player is 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 good. That's a, that's an important thing. You want that that one reliable pitcher, but you know you need at least one, if not two more, to feel comfortable about making it through a season. No doubt, no doubt. And again, those. Those 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 horses, you know, they're they're a dime a dozen now, you know, and they're out there and they can do some things. And and not to say that you know other pitchers can't make it a seven inning game because there's always going to be those games where you just hey you're feeling it, you're doing great, things are going your way. We you roll with that, you know. But um, you know, you start to really look at um, how offensive change. You got to change looks, right? And it's no different than what we've seen in Major League Baseball for ever since the beginning of time, right? You got your opener, you got your mid middle or long relief and then short relief set up and closer, you know, there's going to be different looks to continue to try to get hitters out. And so I think the technology has shown us that and, um, and the game is starting to evolve to that because hitting coaches are better, right? Offenses are better. So you got to really change the looks up and really you know, try to keep them on their toes as much as possible. Uh, I am a schedule junkie. I care way too much about paying attention to RPI and who you played and who's on the schedule and matchups. It's be different this year in the Big 12. Usually you had about six weeks of non-conference you had to fill now with a 10-team conference. Everybody's playing everybody. we got a full round robin, which is awesome. We can talk about that in a minute. So fewer non-conference games have to worry about. I, I'm I'm curious your scheduling philosophy. Last year, I don't think you guys had a single midweek game once conference play started. I think you've got one, maybe two this season. What is your scheduling philosophy, both in non-conference and, and how you like to build that, and then whether or not to schedule midweek games during the, the conference slate? Yeah, for sure. I mean, last year, our non-conference was uh, not as strong as we wanted it to be, and that's kind of what we were handed. So, you know, that's just part of the deal and stuff. And um, we, we picked up some games to help us out. But, you know, as you look at your conference, like, I mean, the name of the game is like, all right, how are we setting ourselves up for success, right? Now, success right now for Texas Tech is like, you know, we want to be a postseason team, Right. So we're going to schedule a little bit differently than maybe a top five team right now. Top five teams are going to go out preseason. They're going to schedule a juggernaut to get better. Well, we need to make sure we're doing that to get better too. And so, so we've got to really start to learn how to, how to manage that piece. And so, you know, for us midweeks, you know, Lubbock, Texas is not the easiest place to get to or get, you know, sometimes easy. And it's when it comes to mid, mid, uh, uh, midweeks, you know, 
we're looking at three to four hours for the closest division one school. And so, and that becomes a challenge for us. And so, so you start to weigh the, the factors of like, okay, is it important that we go play at a game or is it important that we, you know, get rest, you know, to get ready for these, these things. So if we do a good job, you know, preseason, then it's a lot easier, right. And it's a lot easier. Uh, and we don't have to do as many, um, you know, uh, midweek uh, uh, tournaments. And so that's, that's our midweek t- uh, game. So that's what we're trying to accomplish with that, you know, and, and, and then now too, the big 12 is changing, right. I mean, so this year we we brought in some great softball schools and you have BYU, UCF and Houston. So we bring them into the thing now. And now all of a sudden that's, that's better. That's better competition. It already helps us straight away. RPI wise, right. That helps us a, a lot. So that's a good thing. Um, and then next year, obviously, you know, and then we started adding uh, some more perennial powerhouses with Utah, you know, just in the World Series. You know, Arizona, who's a perennial powerhouse in the World Series, Arizona State is not far off from making a World Series run. So it gets stronger and gets better. And so, you know, sometimes that's when you have to kind of look at those and go, okay, what does the program need at this moment, right? What do we need to have that's going to help us uh, set ourselves up for, for postseason right now? And so, I think it's, again, everything kind of changes. It's ever-evolving. Your schedule's going to change. And so once we get that 25 schedule, it'll be interesting to see what our preseason looks like next year, too, because um, we don't have that schedule yet. But when we do get it, I'm anxious to see what we can and can't do and uh, what that's going to look like. It's I'm, I am excited about this year with the three new programs. And then I'm even more excited about next year with three additional. Even though you're losing Oklahoma and Texas, adding Utah, Arizona, Arizona State are, are three fantastic programs to add to this conference. Looking at this season, um, again, full round robin. Everyone's playing everybody. It, it, I know from a coach's mindset. Let's 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 be honest. Like coach's mindset is we want to go out and play everybody and beat everybody. We're not gonna, you know, the mindset is not like we're not gonna beat them. But it is hard in the Big Twelve when Oklahoma is in your conference and you, you know, from a fan perspective, like just go ahead and put three losses on your schedule because they they lost one game all last season. They lost three games the year before that. It's really hard to beat Oklahoma. And then you add in Texas, who's also very, very good. Do you view not just the, the strength of the conference as better, but the fact that there is more depth to the conference from the top to bottom now with team t- 10 teams? In my mindset, and I'm curious yours, like the conference is better because in part because it grew, but in part because it, it brought in better teams, but it brought in better teams to strengthen the RPI as a whole. And I think give everybody more opportunities to, I think gives the conference more opportunities to get more teams in the postseason. And not just because you have more teams, but more opportunity for everybody around as opposed to who, who, who can knock off Oklahoma and get that win they need to help get them there. No, I think that's exactly right, Philip. I mean, when you, when you start to really bring in the caliber of these teams, now all of a sudden, I mean, you're going to have, 10 to 11 teams in a conference that can all make a postseason run. Right. And so you look, you look at the success that we've seen, like maybe in the SEC over the past, you know, six or seven years, you know, and almost every, not every year, but almost every year they've gotten every team into the, into the, um, the, uh, the postseason. Right. And so, and you think about that, like the last place team in that conference was still a 38 RPI. Right. Because they get that opportunity to play these teams over and over again. And you know what? And there's always that off Sunday that you take down the number one team. Right. And so because it's not about who the better team is, it's about who plays the game better. And so and sometimes you catch that you catch that rabbit's foot. Right. And you catch them on the right time and you take down an Oklahoma, you take down a Texas, you know, but you, you only you only get a chance to do that if you play. Right. And you get a better chance to do that if you play it three times. And so so I. I get excited about that. I th- and I think you're dead on. I think this is only going to elevate our conference. It's only going to make us better because it gives us more opportunities 
um, to, you know, win big games. And so and that's what I'm excited to see for sure. I'm going to ask this and you don't have to answer, but like BYU, Houston, UCF, all joined the conference, all have had periods of success. Which one are you most excited to face this year? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, it's it's going to be a challenge on all, all ends, right? So we open up at BYU and Provo, Utah, March. So I don't know if that's going to, you know, I, 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 it may be snowing then. I'm not sure, but it seems like it's going to be cold. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and because that that, pre- that presents something uh, pretty pretty cool for our kids too, to, to go to Provo, Utah. And from what I've seen, beautiful area, absolutely beautiful, right? And so then UCF comes comes to us next year. So they they or comes this year. They they come to Lubbock, Texas, and so Orlando and Lubbock, Texas are completely different uh, opposite sides of the spectrum. So that'll be <laughs> be fun for them. Um, and then you know Houston. You know, obviously, uh, that's a great one as well because now a lot of our, our ball players are from the Houston area. They're from the that that's out part of Texas. So um, all of them bring their different challenges, you know. And I, I'm equally excited on, on all fronts for all three of them. So it's hard to answer that question really, but you know, different always obviously different challenges and different um, different dynamics for sure. And excited to kind of do that thing, get after that this year. Yeah, I, I'm 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 thrilled for this round robin. I'm I'm curious if they'll keep the round robin next year. We don't know. Once you have 11 teams in the conference and you've played 10 yeah. full conference get, uh, weekends, if we're going to take one, I'm, I'm I'm curious what the Big 12's thinking there. I'll be excited to see it. Um, I want to wrap up two two last things and kind of talk about the future of this Texas Tech program. You signed the number two rated 2024 recruiting class according to Extra Inning Softball. Now that means. Uh, Everyone gets confused, like, 24, they're here this year. No, 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 no. They, they will come in the fall of 24 and be part of the 2025 schedule. It always throws me off with signing classes and uh, seasons and so on and so forth. But you sign what is the number two rated class according to X-Rating Softball. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. Again, it'll be another year before we see him actually on the roster. What, what are you selling in Texas Tech? What is it about Texas Tech that is attracting this level of talent to Lubbock and to this program? Yeah, well, I think – you know, we, we've said from the beginning, like, so I, you know, I think we were very honest with ourselves. Like you look around the country and you you look at programs um, that you bring on these visits and, the, and it's the fancy things and all the stuff and the sales pitch and thing. And, you know, I think what separates us is that's not us. We're here's, here's who we are, right? We are West Texas. We are a blue collar community. We are a farming community. We're a ranching community. We are a Red Raider Nation. Our fans love it. And so, and I tell them, I'm like, listen, like, you don't understand how special it is until you get here. And when you get here and you see it and you feel it, it's different. And so we always talk about that for a little bit. And and, and it kind of goes into our core values of what we've talked about with our, with our players. You know, I always kind of laugh, laugh, but it's, you know, every, 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 Every team says, "Oh, we're a family. Oh, we're a family. Oh, we we're a family," and 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 I tell I, I tell our, our our players all the time. I tell our staff and and any of the recruiting, it's like we're not going to hear us talk about it. We're going to live it every day, right? We're we're going to live family because literally no, nobody sits around the dinner table and looks around and goes, "We're just a family." Yeah, you, do that. <laughs> you live it every day, right? You live it, and so you walk into our facility and we've got dogs running around, we got kids running around. I mean, it's. I always describe it. It's like, it's like dinner at grandma's house on Sunday, right? It's just chaos. It's just part of it, but that's, that's what life is. Right. And that's what a family is. And so you try to, and so, so it's kind of interesting. I ask me, ask that question. Well, how do you instill that? You, you, you do what you do every day. You know, this is the family piece of what we do. And so, you know, I mean, even last year we had the dog run on the field in the middle of the game, you know, it was, that, that that happens is is this funny and so I don't know I mean 
So I think I think what recruits are seeing is when they come out here, they fall in love with that piece, and then they get I think they get excited about what we're building, right? You know, from a facility standpoint and just a you know a a softball standpoint, like this is a place you can win and you can win and, and do a great job, and and oh by the way, you get to do it in a great conference, and so um, so I, I don't know, and and now that the Big Twelve has such a big thumbprint from East coast to West coast, it just expands what we can do because you get to play at home. You get to see it, you're on TV. And so I think commissioner Yormark has done a phenomenal job of that as well. But, you know, this is a place for great ball players to come, you know, and I, I think they're starting to realize that uh, this, that class that we signed is, 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 is very special. I'm excited for them when they get here on, on, on you know, here next fall. And so I think it's going to be a competitive class that, you know, is really going to set the, the mark for Texas tech softball and where we're headed. All right, I got to end on this. Explain to me the tumbleweed contest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it, I get, I've been getting this question a lot. So it's so funny. It, you know, as anything sometimes starts, like last year, I mean, we're all new to West Texas, right? And I always tell people, like, you know, if you're not if you're not from Texas, like you think it's cowboys and tumbleweeds and ranches and cattle. Like that you, you, that's what you think if you're not from that, the state, right? And honestly, 95% of that state is not that, right? It's not that. You you go to these metroplexes and stuff. That's not it. Well, we are that. That's what Lubbock is. <laughs> we we are we are that, right? And so tumbleweeds are a thing in the spring. I mean, they they take off. And I mean, I was as shocked as anybody. So last year we had to have some fun. But we were really kind of in that segment of like, hey, let's be all in for the program, right? So on a Friday, I said, Hey, ladies, uh, y'all weekend, I want you to stop, find the biggest tumbleweed you can find and bring it to bring it to uh bring it to the field. We're going to have an, we'll have an award for as the biggest tumbleweed, right? So we bring it in and uh, Katie Wyckoff won it the first year. So it brings this just massive, huge tumbleweed in, right? And um, we talked about, you know, one, being all into the program. We also talked about the lifespan of a tumbleweed, right? What, it, what it's about. Cause I did the research on it and I was like, let me just find out what this is about. Well, it's actually, um, it's not native to, to the Americas. Um, it came from Russia in the 1850s. And so they had shipped over some flax seed over to South Dakota. Well, somehow some Russian thistle got mixed up in that flax seed. Well, that's what a tumbleweed is, is a Russian thistle. So, and it loves desolate areas. It loves areas with that, that, that more dirt, right? And so it thrives in that. So a tumbleweed grows for a year or so, and then it dies off in the winter. And when it does, it breaks off from stem and it just, you know, tumbles. But when it tumbles, it spreads its seeds everywhere, Right. I mean, it just continues to just flourish even after that. So I, we talked about that just in a program, like, you know, being able to leave your mark in a program. Right. Like, you know, you're going to have this time, this short time here, these four years. But, you know, what you do now is going to be very fruitful for people in the future if we continue to grow the program. And so so we had the tumbleweed trophy. Right. We handed it out and then it became a thing. So every week somebody else will hand the trophy out to some, one of their teammates, right? Some words of affirmation, like, hey, I saw so-and-so doing this. This really meets our core values. So I think so-and-so deserves this trophy. So they get the trophy. And then they have to practice uh, being interviewed. So we bring a camera out and, you know, say, hey, so-and-so, tell us about winning the Tumbleweed Trophy. And they have to talk about, um, you know, then they, they're being interviewed. So we're practicing that piece too and, you know, learning how to interview, on, uh, you know, in front of the camera. So there's a lot of cool things that it checks the box for, um, but then it just – it became the same. So this year was our second annual tumbleweed uh, contest and it seems to even gather even more uh, notoriety now. So it'll be continue to be a thing. And um, I think we're actually releasing to some, um, some funny uh, spoof uh, videos are coming up. We're going to do a uh, kind of a between the ferns type um, <laughs> spoof, but it's going to be between the tumbleweeds. So 
uh, it should be pretty good and it should be a good laugh for everybody. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the the post showed up on social. I'm like, I'm gonna say, why is why is Texas Tech softball talking about tumbleweeds? Like, okay, this is good. This is this is the kind of content we need. Is fun and engaging stuff. So nice job there. Always love to see something silly turn into something impactful and meaningful, uh, especially to to each program. And so, it's not Coach Snyder. I thank you for the time. Really appreciate it. Good luck to your team this season. We'll be following very closely. Like I, I, my hope is like we got like six or seven teams in the Big Twelve in the postseason, and so I expect to see you guys there. So, absolutely, absolutely. come on, Red thank Raiders! So absolutely, I appreciate your time today, and thank you for everything you guys do for our sport. We appreciate you. Podcast Network.